Uh, today's reading is on page 17 in the Church Bibles. It's in Genesis 24. It's quite a piece, so you'll see we're going to jump, do 1 to 33, and then jump 49 to the end. So just bear with me. <laughs> Isaac and Rebecca. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abram said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you. And you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abram, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abram, please grant me success today and show me steadfast love to my master Abram. Behold, I'm standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young women to whom I shall say, please lay down your jar then am I drink, and who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, and the wife of Naor, Abram's brother, came out with a water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please, give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly laid down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the throw and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, Please tell me whose daughter's daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, whom she bore to Naor, she added. 
We have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head, bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out towards the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I've prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels and there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat and he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. He said, speak on. Now we'll continue from verse uh, 49. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I might turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you good, oh, sorry, bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abram's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, Send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least ten days. After that she may go. But he said to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I might go to my master. They said, Let us call the woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abram's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, O sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Beer Lahairoi and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field towards the evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, 
and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Thank you, Krista. If you'd like to keep that passage open in front of you, and we're going to look at it together, and let's pray as we do that. Our Father, we thank you for your word, and uh, we thank you that as uh, we come to it now, um, that you speak to us through it. So we pray that by your Spirit, you would minister to us and uh, teach us more of who you are and what you've done and what it means to know you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, some of you will be too young to remember a time before streaming services when choosing what to watch was a, a whole evening event. Uh, I have fond memories of visiting Blockbuster Video on a Friday evening and browsing the shelves, deciding what movie uh, I was going to rent. Uh, and that process alone could take quite some time uh, when you add in the, the deci decision of whether to go for uh, Revels or Minstrels and, and what flavor of Pringles uh, you were going to choose uh, from their overpriced uh, snack section. Um, in the days when I was young, uh, free and single, that process was streamlined somewhat because I could quickly rule out the romance section. Uh, and I have to say that even today with a plethora of streaming options, uh, the romance category is not one uh, that I rush to given the choice. And now don't mishear me, it's not that I have a particular aversion to a romantic film, it's just that once you've seen one, you've really seen them all. Uh, the plot goes something like this. A chance encounter between two strangers sets a chain of events in motion where initially things look promising before some kind of obstacle is placed in the path of true love. Uh, that obstacle is eventually overcome and the two lovers live happily ever after. I'm not wrong, am I? Uh, now, by getting wise to that formula, I have saved myself countless streaming hours, uh, which I've been able to devote to football documentaries and crime dramas. Now, Genesis 24 has been described as a masterful romantic tale. It seems to have all the ingredients that I've just mentioned, a seemingly chance encounter, uh, opposition to true love, and a couple whose eyes meet and fall in love. Now, if you're anything like me, that might not immediately grab your attention. And it may leave you tempted to turn the page uh, to look for something a bit more interesting. But while on one level this is a chapter full of romance, on another level this story is all about God's providential working in the lives of his people. Now, although God never actually speaks in this passage, his name, the Lord, is mentioned 17 times. And uh, if you're familiar, if you've been around here any length of time, you'll know that, that wherever you see uh, the Lord in block capitals in the Bible, that is a reference to his covenant name, Yahweh. It was the name that God used with his people, a name that spoke of his love and his care for them. It was a name that, that, that said that God could be known. He could be trusted. A name that spoke of his faithfulness and his commitment to his promises. 
And this account is a wonderful illustration of all of those things. It's a passage that helps us see that, that God is sovereignly at work bringing about his purposes in the ordinary, everyday events of life for the good of his people. It's a passage that if we can take it to heart, it should help us trust him, whatever it is that we might be facing. And it's a trust that we see exhibited by Abraham at the very beginning of this passage. If you look with me at verse 1. Now, Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. Now, what we have here at the beginning of this chapter are the final recorded words of Abraham. Abraham was near the end of his life. Uh, we're told he was well advanced in years. That's the Bible's way of saying someone's ancient. Uh, he didn't have long left, but he still had a very significant responsibility, and that was to ensure that his son Isaac found a suitable wife. Notice verse 3, he is very clear to his servant that that wife could not come from amongst the Canaanites. Now, that's where Abraham and Isaac were living. They were in Canaan. But Abraham's order to his servant is to go to his own people to find a wife. Now, why is that? Why was Abraham so particular, ruling out the women of Canaan, that kind of sounds pretty questionable, doesn't it? As if, as if Abraham was ruling them out on racial grounds. But that's not what's going on here. Abraham's reasons, they weren't racial, they were religious. Abraham's concern to, to secure a, Isaac a wife, it was born out of his commitment to God's promises. He knew that God would continue to work out his promises through his descendants, and that meant that Isaac needed to remain faithful. And Abraham knew that if Isaac married a Canaanite woman, he would be joined with someone who worshipped a different God. And time and time again, when we see that happen in the Bible, it results in God's people being drawn away from Yahweh to join in with the false gods of the surrounding nations. And we don't just need to look at the examples of that in the Old Testament. It's a very present reality today. Now, the Bible has some really helpful stuff to, to say about um, how a believer lives out their faith uh, with a non-believing spouse. But, but the, the overarching principle in the Scriptures is that as Christians, loving the wrong person leads to worshiping the wrong God. Pursuing a relationship with someone who doesn't share your love for the Lord, God says that can turn your heart away from Him. Either your desire to honor the Lord will be choked by worldly desires as you're drawn to love the gods of your partner, or you may find yourself in the lonely position of trying to live out your faith while the person most precious to you on this earth looks on. Abraham knew the importance of securing a wife for Isaac who would share his faith. And, and he was committed uh, 
to making that happen. And so he commissions his servant to travel to his homeland to find a wife. And in his final recorded words, we see the extent of his trust in God to overrule in the lives of his people. If you look with me at verse 7, the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. So in those words, we see the extent of the journey that Abraham had been on. At the end of his life, Abraham was fully convinced that God would lead his servant to the right woman for Isaac. And this wasn't some theoretical conclusion that he'd reached from reading a few books. No, these words are uttered from a man who had lived it. He'd learned from his mistakes, from moments of failure, moments where he had failed to trust God which uh, had led to some pretty disastrous situations. And yet, even when he had hit rock bottom, even in the darkest times, God had remained faithful. And here was Abraham at the end of his life, able to look back on God's goodness and grace, able to testify to God's providential working in all the different situations that he had endured. And to declare with confidence, the Lord will send his angel before you. And friends, if we're Christians, that's the same God we trust today. The God who is faithful, even when we are faithless. The God who is gracious amidst our failures. The God who works out his good purposes and plan in the lives of his people, even in the darkest of situations. And that's why, like Abraham, we can be confident that even in times of uncertainty, in times of difficulty, even when it might feel as though life is crashing around us, God can be trusted to work out his good purpose and plan in our lives. Abraham, he spoke from experience. He had learned to trust God. And the rest of this passage really shows us how uh, that trust was well-placed. His servant sets off on the long journey to Mesopotamia, and when he arrives at the city of Nahor, we read verse 11, he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Now the servant asks God here for a sign. But notice he was not asking for some kind of extraordinary miracle. What he asks for is something that was a very ordinary, everyday task. But it was extraordinarily revealing about the kind of woman that he was looking for. The woman who would answer this prayer, she would show herself to be someone who was caring. 
someone who was kind, someone who was sacrificial, someone who was hardworking, someone who went above and beyond. In other words, someone of extraordinary character. And this prayer, it's so challenging on so many levels. You know, often the, the picture that we are presented with in romantic films is the kind of bolt of lightning, romantic encounter that centers around physical appearance. That love at first sight moment. And that kind of picture has been hugely influential when it comes to the kind of expectations people have of meeting the one and on what they prioritize in a relationship. But, but this servant's prayer, it doesn't mention anything about looks or chemistry, nothing about a good sense of humor. There's no mention of education or career prospects. No, everything that he prays for relates to character, the kind of qualities that stand the test of time, the kind of characteristics that go beyond external appearance or status, the kind of qualities that honor God. And before he could even say amen, God answered his prayer. If you look with me at verse 15, before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, drink, my Lord, and she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew water for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. So the fact that Rebecca showed up before the servant had finished his prayer, it means that she would have already been on her way to the well when the servant started praying. God, in his providence, was at work guiding the servant's very specific prayer and at the same time answering it in the form of Rebecca. Rebecca ticked all the boxes. We're told, verse 15, that she was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother. So she came from Abraham's people. She wasn't a Canaanite. She was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. So she was single. Uh, and then we see her incredible character qualities. In response to the servant's request, she shows immense kindness and sacrificial service to this stranger. She goes above and beyond. He didn't ask. He didn't verbalize that he wanted the camels watered as well. She, she offered. She didn't hang about. Twice we're told she, she went about responding to his request quickly. In verse 20, we read that she, she ran to the well to draw water for the camels. Now, to get a sense of what Rebecca was undertaking, we need to understand what a camel could drink. A camel could take on 25 gallons of water. And there were 10 of them. And Rebecca, she drew water for all of them. She would have had to have gone up and down the steps to the well somewhere in the region of 80 to 100 times to fill them up. That would have taken a couple of hours. 
We're meant to understand that, that Rebecca, she was someone, uh, not just of immense fitness, uh, but of immense character. And certainly this, uh, as the servant looked on in silence, deep in thought and admiration, he came to that conclusion, verse 21. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? So the servant lavishes Rebecca with incredibly expensive gifts. And on discovering that she was the granddaughter of Abraham's brother Nahor, we read verse 26, the man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. Rebecca's response left the servant in absolutely no doubt that God had answered his prayer, that this was no chance encounter. In his providence, he had directed Abraham's servant to Rebecca as the ideal wife for Isaac. But like any self-respecting romantic story, there was an obstacle to overcome before any hope of a happy ending. And that obstacle came in the form of Rebecca's brother Laban. If you look with me at verse 29. Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebecca, his sister, thus the man spoke to me, he went to the man. Now, this isn't the only time we come across Laban in the book of Genesis. Uh, his deception and greed will later have a significant impact on the life of Isaac's son, Jacob. And we get a sense of his greed when he catches sight of Rebecca's expensive new jewelry. And his eyes stop popping out of his head and he lifts his jaw off the floor. He rushes to Abraham's servant and invites him into their house. And after the servant relays his story to Laban, we're given a sign of things to come. Despite initially giving their blessing for Rebecca to, to return with Abraham's servant, the next morning, Laban and his mother attempt to delay their departure. Verse 55, her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least 10 days. After that, she may go. Now, notice the timescale of Rebecca's departure. It's vague, at least 10 days. You know, we're meant to understand that this is an attempt either to renege on their agreement or an attempt to, to milk Abraham's servant for as much as they can get. But Laban's deviousness, it only actually serves to fulfill God's plan because it opens the way for Rebecca to firmly declare her faith and commitment to the Lord. The servant responds to Laban's shenanigans in verse 56, but he said to them, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. They said, let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. 
So Rebecca, like Abraham before her, she willingly left her home to respond to God's call. It was yet another confirmation that she was the answer to the servant's prayers. And with that obstacle overcome, the path to true love is made clear. This passage closes with a scene that any romantic movie would be proud of. As Isaac and Rebecca's eyes meet across a, a field as the, the sun sets and the two fall in love, we read verse 63, and Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah his mother and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. There was nothing accidental, nothing lucky about this union. God, in his providence, had guided every step, right down to the moment of their first meeting. And now the two lovers were united. It's a beautiful story of how God works out his purposes in the lives of those who are faithful to him. That our lives are not governed by luck, or fate, but by the God who rules over every moment of our existence, even when those moments are dark and difficult. You see, while this is the ultimate romantic tale, and it seems like an ideal happy ever after ending, when we carry on reading through Genesis, we discover that Isaac and Rebecca's marriage was full of difficulty. They played favorites with their kids, there was lies and, and deceit in their relationship. Despite God clearly bringing them together, despite uh, that, that moment when they met uh, as the sun set and had all that sort of romance, despite their love for one another, like any human relationship, it was far from perfect. This beautiful romantic tale, it does not have a happy ever after ending. Their marriage was full of heartache. Some of you know that heartache all too well, where sin causes brokenness in a relationship, where we experience bet betrayal by those that we trusted, where love grows cold and doesn't stand the test of time, or, or when the romantic love that we, we long for proves elusive. Maybe our own experience of, experiences have left us cynical about happy ever after endings. But what if there was a love that we could rely on? A love story that did have a happy ending. A groom who, who loved his bride so much that he wouldn't act out of selfishness or, or self-interest, but would actually lay down his life for her. A groom who would overcome any opposition to make his bride his own. A groom who would nurture her and care for her so that she could know joy at the deepest level. A joy and happiness that would never end. Well, the wonderful message of the Christian faith is that that romance, 
that we long for, that love that we were made for, it's not a fantasy. It's a reality. And it is to be found in the love of Jesus Christ for his bride, the church. That he didn't send a servant. He himself came as a servant. He faced hostility and deception and ultimately death. But, but that didn't stop him. In the wonder of God's providence, that, that opposition only fill, fill, served to fulfill his purposes. To, to bring his bride home, to be his, to clothe her with his perfect spotless robe, and as the risen and reigning king, to unite with her in a relationship of love and joy and satisfaction for eternity. That is the hope of everyone who trusts in the Lord Jesus. Forgiveness and freedom and love that lasts forever. A true happy ever after that never ends. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love the love that you have shown us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he was willing to come from heaven to earth to make his bride his own. We thank you that he was willing to overcome the, all the opposition, the plotting and the betrayals and the, the deceit of sinful men, that he was willing to endure death so that we could know what it is to have eternal life. Thank you that in him we have the ultimate union, a happy ever after, where our past is forgiven and our future is secure. And so we pray, Lord God, that we would trust you, that we would trust your, your providential hand in all things, that we would be able to see that that in even difficult circumstances, you are working out your good purposes in the lives of your people. And ultimately, one day, we will know what it is to stand before our Savior face to face and know that joy forever. And we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.